Greetings, Soma family. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Josh. Uh, I go to the Emerson Heights MC. And I've been here since about 2019 now. Uh, I, before I came to Soma, I served as an intern and a pastor at a couple different churches for nine years prior. And so I, I'm used to being asked to preach on like National Youth Pastor Day, which just so happens to be that Sunday between Christmas and New Year's Day, when like no one on staff wants to be there, like most of the congregation doesn't come. And then even like the church itself, uh, just nobody really shows up. Or in our case, like we don't even have service that Sunday, right? And so like I'm used to being asked for that Sunday. Uh, so I feel privileged that the elders here asked me to to preach on a real Sunday, as, as the old youth pastors would say, and we are, we have such a great passage, like, oh my goodness, but you saw how much we have to get through, so uh, we're just going to jump right in. Nicodemus, uh, the story about him in this conversation with Jesus, um, is so incredible, it's going to bring so much joy to us, but there's also going to be a lot of weight in the room today, because some of the implications that, that we have to uncover and get through are going to be hard. And so we encounter this man named Nicodemus, verse number one. Now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is going to be the first encounter in Scripture with Nicodemus. And uh, actually John is the only person to speak of him. So all we know about Nicodemus just comes from Scripture, and he comes uh, into John's testimony two other times. Um, and with him... Uh, we see right away he's a Pharisee. So it means he, he is a, a strong Jew who has a zeal to obey God's law. He's going to be serious about obeying every single last commandment in the Old Testament. He's most likely a member of the Sanhedrin from Jerusalem, which was a ruling group that would have been kind of a combination between like our Senate and Congress. Uh, he would have had a lot of responsibility. He would have had power. He would have had authority. And this man comes to Jesus. Verse 2. It actually says this man comes to Jesus by night. Now, Scripture doesn't say why that is, but, but I'm guessing that that's an important detail. Because why would this man, who is so powerful, come to Jesus, kind of a nobody, by night? This guy's the, the Ph.D., he's the expert in his field, he's got the power, the influence, he's got all the credentials. But he comes to Jesus by night. Again, the Bible doesn't say, but like, is he worried about something? Is he trying to figure out, like, is this going to be career suicide, political suicide? Is, is it going to be considered treason to meet with this this? rebellious rabbi he's definitely seen some of the things that jesus has done you're going to see that in the next verse he might have even just saw him flipping the tables at the temple so this man of great power comes to jesus and he says to him rabbi we know that you're a teacher come from god for no one can do these signs that you do unless god is with him off the bat, he, he approaches Jesus with, with the title that he himself would have been called, Rabbi. There's a sign of respect. There's a sign of equality in him calling Jesus what he calls him. And he says, we. 
So he, at some level, he's probably been talking to the group of some 6,000 Pharisees or the group of 70 men that make up the Sanhedrin. And these religious rulers are saying, we don't know what exactly is going on, but God has to be doing something through you. Because what happens around you, that's not normal. That's not natural. So Nicodemus says, no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. And so Jesus answers Nicodemus, verse 3, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. This is a punch in the gut to Nicodemus. If anybody is deserving the kingdom of God, based on all that Nicodemus knows, based on all of his interpretation of the Old Testament, that is him. Maybe some other people don't, but Nicodemus deserves the kingdom of God. And Jesus, in a roundabout way, is saying everything that you have done in your life you're at the pinnacle of your career. No one is higher than you, or, or few are higher than you. It's meaningless. It doesn't matter. You will not inherit the kingdom of God. We continue. Nicodemus says, How can man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? I don't know, but Nicodemus might be getting a little bit sassy here. And as I was starting to study, I was talking to my girlfriend, I go, you know, like, I can only think of one time I've ever seen like a human man be born a second time. She goes, you can't be talking about Ace Ventura, can you? And yes, if you guys remember Ace Ventura, Pet Detective 2, um, that is the only time in my mind I can ever think of, um, of somebody being born again. If you've seen it, you know. If you haven't seen it, I can't say I recommend the movie. Um, but I definitely laughed. So Nicodemus, he might be a little bit sassy. And Jesus answers him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. And that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. In the same way that Jesus keeps communicating this to Nicodemus, this is actually something that gets communicated to us today. It's a proclamation that encounters all of mankind through all of history. You are either born again and you enter the kingdom of heaven, or you are not. And that's something that we need to wrestle with today in our own lives. Because at the end of your life, you will at some point take your last breath, and there will be one thing that matters, and that is, are you born again? Nicodemus, know, like Jesus knows that he's obviously a Jew, and, and like a Jew would believe that unless I'm just an incredibly bad person, I deserve the kingdom of God. And I think if we're honest with ourselves, or at least the way our culture kind of interprets things, 
I think we too often get in that mindset of, I deserve the kingdom of God. I'm a pretty good person. I try to do good things. I gave a dollar to the homeless guy on the street. But Jesus keeps coming back to, you're either born again or you're not. He actually breaks it apart um, by saying, that which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. And what Jesus is actually doing, he's referencing Ezekiel 36. Nicodemus is going to know this. MC leaders, if you guys follow the sermon, um, kind of as the way you like go through discussion stuff, maybe check out Ezekiel 36, 37, Titus 3. There's a lot of good parallels um, like coming out of this. But he breaks it down by water and spirit. And he says, and he's referencing this passage, Ezekiel 36. I will take from you the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanliness. Notice it's nothing that Nicodemus is doing. And from all your idols, I will cleanse you and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit that I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Nicodemus was very focused on being clean on the outside. He didn't recognize he needed to be clean from the inside. He thought he could do what it took to earn his way to the kingdom of God. But what Jesus is saying, only through the spirit can you be clean, can you be born again. Jesus continues in the conversation, Nicodemus, do not marvel, don't be amazed, don't be surprised that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Again, another way of saying it is there is nothing you can do to earn your way into the kingdom of God. You can't memorize enough of the law. You can't go to enough worship services. You can't be a good enough keeper of the law. None of your works will ever make you born of the Spirit. Only as like the wind blows and the Spirit blows through you will you be born of the Spirit. Nicodemus asked, how can these things be? You're talking about my whole life. Everything I've devoted myself to. Jesus answers, are you the teacher of Israel? And yet you do not understand these things. Jesus seems to expect Nicodemus to understand what he's saying from Ezekiel 36 and 37. New, new spirit, new life, new heart, new flesh. That's what you need, not, not what you've already done. Continues in verse 11. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and we bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Hear that again. You do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Nicodemus, I've, I've told you all these things. When Jesus tells us something and it's not accepted, the problem isn't that we don't understand. It's that we don't believe his testimony. We don't believe he is who he says he is. We don't believe he did what he came to do. And we don't believe the implications of what that means. 
Jesus continues to try to identify himself to Nicodemus. Verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And he's pulling two more Old Testament passages that, again, Nicodemus is going to know. Proverbs 30, verse 4. Who has ascended to heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fist? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? What is his name? What is his son's name? Surely you know. Nicodemus. Me. Daniel 7, verse 13 and 14. I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Nicodemus, that's my kingdom. That's what I'm coming to do. Verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. This is a reference back to Numbers 21, starting in verse 4. And the people became impatient on the way, and the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there's no food, no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that you would take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole. And if a serpent bit anyone, he would take a look at it in the bronze, or the bronze serpent and live. The people were going to die with the venom of the serpents in their veins. They had no hope. But God made a way to save his people. Their hope being, do I believe that God is God and that what he tells me, I do. And that by looking at that pole, that serpent on the pole, that, that I will be saved physically from my death if I've been bitten, if I have that venom running in my veins. And just like that, Jesus is saying to Moses, or is saying to Nicodemus, like Moses putting that serpent up on a pole, I too am going to be up on a pole that whoever believes in me will not perish, but will have eternal life. In this, um, we don't have time to get there, but he's also referencing Isaiah 52 and 53, where he is claiming to be the wise ser servant. Again, Nicodemus would know this. He's an expert in the Old Testament. And so we have all these different ways in which Jesus is identifying himself. And it comes to the, the verse that we know, or many of us do, either because you grew up and it was the first thing you memorized in Cubbies or Awana or whatever kids program you might have known of, or it's because you know of Tim Tebow back in the day, or even if you don't know Christianity, you've probably seen it, heard it, somehow you've probably engaged with it. But Jesus says this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son 
that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Man's greatest problem, we stand condemned before a holy and just God. We are not innocent. No man is. We are sinners. We all fall short of God's glory. And the wages of those sin is death. But man's greatest problem gets met with God's greatest solution. Jesus comes and lives the perfect life that we couldn't live. To die the death that we deserve to die. That he might crush death and crush sin. And literally crush it beneath his feet like Genesis 3 says as the serpent's head gets destroyed. We find hope in life through Christ. You are born again through Christ when you believe Him. You are saved when you put your belief in Christ. This is the gospel at its core. And it changes everything. The gospel changes everything about us. And I want to pause in this for a moment because I think sometimes we're, we're really good at sitting here with the idea that God loves me. And how sweet is that? Like, like God loves me, the creator of the universe. He loves me. Pretty cool. And it's so true. Like, like he loves me and he loves you. But he actually didn't die just for me. He actually dies for we, and not just like we in this room, but, but he dies for the world. And so I, I wonder if sometimes do we get distracted because, well, it's just the relationship between me and my God, my growth, my journey, my discipleship, my love for the sermon or love for the music. When it's really about we and that then starts to change. How do I live my life? What, what does my savings account look like? What is my, my, my dreams, my ambitions, my hopes, my desires? How does that start to factor into this whole concept of God loving me, but God loving us? What, is it, what does it look like in how we engage coworkers and neighbors and strangers and the homeless and people not just here in America, but all across the world? Because again, God didn't just come to die for me or my friends or my family or the people that have my socioeconomic background or the people that look like me or the people who just live in my country or any, like, I, it's for everybody. God died for all. If in that Daniel passage, Jesus specifically says, I'm coming for all tribes, all tongues, and all peoples. For whatever reason, not because we're needed, God wants to use us to extend his glory to the ends of the earth. He wants to use us to work within our social spheres, whether it is at work, whether it is at 
um, the coffee shop, wherever you might engage people. He wants to use you as his vessel of the Holy Spirit, if you know him, to go and make disciples of all peoples and all nations. Jesus continues, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. There's a lot to unpack in there, but I'll just say one thing. If people reject Jesus, it's not because he's not sufficient, that his love wasn't great enough. It's because they love the darkness and they love evil. That's true for you. That's true for me. That's true for everybody else. So I have three concluding points. The first is the idea that I believe that the Bible is God's word. I believe that God the creator gave his word to man the creation which sometimes we get it out of whack, but that means the Creator knows what's best for the creation, not the other way around. And so the creation doesn't get to tell the Creator how to act, what is just, what is fair, or what love is. I hear in a lot of circles, well, I just don't see how a loving God could, and that can be filled in however, but in this context... I just don't see how a loving God would condemn people. I just don't see how a loving God would send somebody to hell. I just don't see how a loving God could. That's not my job to play God, here's what you should do. But rather, this is the Word of God, and, and He knows what is best for us, and, and His way is best regardless of how I feel about it. And so I do believe this core message is under attack. I think that there's every excuse to take Christ out of being central to the gospel, central to the hope of mankind. I worry in our age of deconstruction, our age of everyone gets to create their own truth and nobody can say what absolute truth is because it's all just us making up whatever it is we want to believe. I believe that many in the church are tempted not fully embrace what scriptures teach, specifically about Jesus, his deity, and how he came to save the world. There are many things in scripture we can argue over. This passage, you know, gets argued over in the Calvinist versus Arminian debate, and we're not going there. But what we cannot argue over is the most foundational concept of Christianity. There is no hope apart from Christ. All have been condemned. All are destined to die. And when, we talk, and when he talks about weeping and gnashing of teeth or being condemned or perishing or death or not entering the kingdom of God or eternal conscious torment in hell, like those things are all real. And there's a lot of people out there trying to explain those away. And if you explain those away, then why do we even really need Jesus at some point? These things are real and they're under attack. John 3:36 
Um, I'm still in whoever's preaching next week's verse. But John 3.36 says this, just to be clear. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see his life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Just as much as Jesus on the cross is real, so is the wrath of God. Fortunately, but God so loved the world, and through belief in Him, one is born again, and is saved and justified and redeemed, and becomes a child of God. But again, let's be clear, you are a child of God if you are born again. If you are not born again, you are not a child of God. So that means there's, this is something I just saw on TikTok the other day, and thanks algorithm. There are many paths that lead up the same mountain that will lead you to the same peak of the summit of the kingdom of God. All religions are valuable. All religions are worth it. All ideas are important. And you'll all end up at the same place at the end of the day. Not true. I then saw another one that's the same thing with streams and rivers going to the ocean. Not true. Christ says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. If you want the Father, it is through me and it is through me alone. I've had two buddies um, die last year uh, through gun violence and whatnot. And after the second one got shot, a couple days um, had passed. And me and a friend were talking, a Christian friend, about, um, you know, like we knew we were going to get asked to, to do some memorial service stuff and asked to kind of do some counseling for some people that kind of were part of our, our mutual parties. And so... You know, as, as we were kind of talking about how we would address it, he goes, well, Josh, I think it's really important that our buddy is, like, we, we tell them that he's in a better place, that he's in a good place. I said, well, why? Well, what, do you, what do you mean by that? Well, because like, I, 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 I said, how do you know that, that you're essentially saying he's in heaven? I said, how, how do you know that? He goes, well, he's, he's a good person. Probably depends on who you asked, if, if we're just being honest. Especially before he died, things change sometimes. The moment somebody dies, all of a sudden they're this perfect person, but beforehand they had a lot of issues, right? And so I asked my buddy, like, like did he ever reference Christ? Did he ever, did we ever feel like he was trying to live for Christ? Did we ever feel like he was born again? Like, we're not judged, okay? Like, like don't, don't mishear that. Like, like I, I in no way can judge a thing. But was there any indication? Because at least Scripture gives us, hey, there's fruits of the Spirit. There, there's, there's things that would indicate that if somebody had professed faith and lived a certain amount of time, that, that there would be some change. There would be a, a rebirth. There would, they'd be born again. The Spirit of God would work in them in a way in which, which their life is forever changed because the gospel changes everything. And, and he goes, well, no, but he, he's a good person. And, and, and he said this. He said, Josh, I... I I just can't believe that God would let this kid just lie dying in a ditch, bleeding out. I, I just can't believe that. And, that. and surely that Jesus would have just come and wrapped his arms around him and just ushered him into the realms of heaven. Jesus can do whatever he wants to do. 
But that is not what Scripture teaches would be a regular option as somebody dies. Again, God can do whatever God chooses to do. We kept talking and we had to reconcile. We can't share with our other people that we know he's in heaven. We can present the good news, but I would be wary of presenting false hope or honestly lying to people. No matter how much I love somebody, no matter just because now I'm in the situation, my theology can't change because scripture doesn't change. I had another similar story. Um, a friend of mine, her grandpa had passed, and this wasn't like in the moment, but after some, you know, some days had passed, you know, she just asked Josh, do you think my grandpa is in the kingdom of heaven? Again, I can't judge. I didn't know the guy. But all I can ask is, well, did he profess Christ? Did he believe in Jesus? Did, like, was there any indication? Well, Josh, no, but he was a good Marine. Josh, don't you just believe that like right now he's guarding the gates of heaven? Now, I didn't say it, but I don't know that the gates of heaven actually need guarded or they don't need guarded by man, okay? Um, didn't say that part. Thought it, didn't say it. Your grandpa, grandpa is in heaven if he was born again, if he knew Jesus. That's all I can tell you. We need to have all sort of sensitivity, all sort of, of love and compassion and kindness in those situations. I'm not saying we, we go in and we just blast people, right? We show grace, but ultimately, grace comes with truth. We, we know that Jesus was full of both grace and truth, and likewise, it's important for believers to be full of grace and truth. That was concluding point number one. The other two are much quicker. Number two, have you been born again? I would be amiss to assume that everybody who comes to church on a Sunday has actually been born again. Maybe it's true for our congregation. I don't know. But I at least want to present that to you. Nicodemus, that's where we live, leave Nicodemus in this moment. Christ has said, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. You in or you out. You two today have come in, in one section of this. Is. When you die, all that's going to matter is, do you believe in Jesus? Not that I was baptized. Not that my grandma had me repeat these words when I was four. Not... It's not my family's faith. It's not my culture. You can't just say, well, I'm Irish, therefore I'm in the kingdom of God. It's not a membership to a club. Have you recognized that you're a sinner? You're separated from God. You need a Savior. And have you put your hope or your trust or your belief in Jesus? You'll know if you have because you'll have been born again and things will change. Do you know Jesus? Concluding point number three, and if we need to start getting ready for communion, 
That's cool. If you've been born again, are you living like it? Does this passage push you to the dilemma that literally billions and billions of people do not know Jesus? And those billions are also in your social circle right here where you live, where you work, where you play. Does this motivate us? Do we feel the weight of what this means? I have great friends that I so desire to come to know the Lord. Like I always say that like if they had actually become Christians, not that we like rank Christians, but they'd be such great Christians because they already love so well they already care. They're already compassionate. They're already fighting social justice issues. Like, it's like, guys, like, like probably like your innate nature of why you're doing what you're doing actually has to do with, with what Christ really wants to accomplish. And if you come with Him, like, it's going to be just better. Like, like, like please, like, like, come to know Jesus. But I also recognize that I need to love them. I need to pray for them. I need to, I need to actually tell them about Jesus. I think sometimes we can be really good at maybe the love part. I, I, I can love people. That's not as hard sometimes. It can be hard, but, but it's not as hard as like actually being bold enough to share the hope of the gospel. We need to, be, we, we need to follow the command of, of both word and deed. It's not just good enough to, to love. Like We ought to do that because that's commanded, but we also share the word of the Lord. So are we praying for people? Are we loving them? And I'm, I'm really, I'm preaching to myself because sometimes I feel like I can love, but I don't do the best job at actually sharing or I don't do the best job of actually praying for my people. And as we examine our souls, is there anything that we're holding on to that we know that we should be giving to God to help in his mission that he, for whatever reason, wants to use me to accomplish. Not that he needs me, but just that, that in, in his comedic genius, if you will, that, that, that he will use us as a means in which to take his glory to the ends of the earth and that we get to be a part in his kingdom for that. Are there things that you're holding on to that, that you need to give to God? My my career, my ambitions, my dreams, my 401ks or, or my, my crypto wallet. I, I don't know what it might be. But if you're born again, are you living like it? Each week we practice taking communion. And if you are one who has believed in Jesus, we welcome you to join in taking communion as we, we, as we remember the body that was broken for us and the blood that was shed for us as the Son of Man was lifted on the cross. We do it by, there's going to be one that's gluten-free right here and a couple that have regular bread over there. And you can come down the middle aisles and you can go around the back. If you aren't a child of God, if you have not believed in Him, if you have not been born again, as Jesus keeps saying, please don't participate in this. Instead, we want you to take Christ instead. Come to Jesus, know Him, put your belief and trust and hope in Him. If you'd like to know more about what this means, because I've 
You know, there's so many ways we could continue to talk. Come find one of the elders. Most of our elders are here today. Come talk to me after. Or honestly, there's probably somebody in your pew that knows what we're talking about here, and they would love to share Jesus with you. Let's pray. God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for making us a way to get out of our rightful and justified condemnation. Thank you for giving us a way back to you. If there's someone here like Nicodemus who doesn't know you, we just act that your spirit works and moves and and comes into their life and, and that they too can know that they are born again, that they are loved by you, and that they are ready to go out and serve you with the rest of their days. In Christ's name I pray, amen.